hardheads out there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is episode number seven of the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And before we go any further into the show, I feel like I should issue a big warning, big warning on the top of the show. I have broken a cardinal sin of podcasting, public speaking, singing, pretty much Every activity that involves a lot of talking, I have broken a cardinal sin. I did not sleep very well last night, so I have a cup of coffee in front of me. And it's not the fact that I have a cup of coffee in front of me that is breaking the cardinal sin. It's what's in the coffee. I have creamer in my coffee. I'm not one of those people that can drink black coffee. I think that's a generational thing. I don't know really anybody in my generation that loves black coffee. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dairy is absolutely horrible for your throat because it it produces mucus in your throat. So I am issuing a warning. I I am going to try my best not to have the next 45 minutes to an hour just be a bunch of me clearing the mucus from my throat, which is such a disgusting word, a disgusting term. But regardless, I feel like I need to say something about it because it's very... It is an it is a cardinal sin. This is this is a number one golden rule that you are not supposed to break, and I am breaking it for the sake of just trying to pull me through the show today. Uh, because sleep was robbed from me last night for some unknown reason. It happens every once in a while to all of us, I'm sure. So I'm gonna do my best to get through the show today. Uh, we do have a really good show today. Uh, otherwise, so I'm really excited about that, so I don't see any reason to delay it any further. Let's get into it. Starting with a little NBA basketball, uh, the Nets losing to the Cleveland Cavaliers late on Wednesday night and producing a gigantic reaction just because of now who is on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, listen, everybody needs to calm down when it comes to the Nets. I Don't know why people are surprised by this outcome. Sure, it's fantastic when the big bully kid in the kickball game runs up to kick the ball and completely whiffs and falls on his back and makes a mockery of himself and everybody everybody in the middle school points at him and laughs. Totally not speaking from experience here. No, seriously, I'm not. But still, the point being, it's always great to see when the big villain runs up to take a kick at the kickball and takes a gigantic swing or a gigantic kick and flat out misses and and throws himself on his back. Um, But instead of taking a look at that and saying, ha ha, that guy missed the ball, you say, well, I'm the type of person that says, well, that's not so surprising because if you took a look at his form, he really has really poor form despite the fact that he's got a powerful leg so it's not really a surprise to me that he his poor form allowed him to run up and his poor form allowed him to miss the ball and that's the same way that I am approaching this loss that people are I feel like overreacting to people are everybody's taking a look and saying haha you you lost to the Cavaliers they're the worst offensive team in the NBA like this is the big three this is everything that we're supposed to be scared about and I'm sitting here saying well I'm not surprised by any of this. I mean, this team is exactly what we thought it was going to be going in. It's a team that is going to be potentially historically great offensively and potentially historically bad defensively. And that's exactly 
what we saw on Wednesday night when it came to the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Brooklyn Nets. It is exactly what we saw. Uh, the Cavs beating the Nets by a score of 147 to 135. Uh, Colin Sexton had the best game of his career by far. 42 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds, 1 steal. The Cavs won without Kevin Love or Darius Garland. And uh, Sexton was coming back after a five-game absence. And again, the Cavs, depending on what metric you look at, either have the second-worst uh, offense in the NBA or the worst offense in the NBA. And uh, the Brooklyn Nets, the big three, Durant, Harden, Kyrie. This was Kyrie's first game back, which is why this is getting so much media attention. This is the first time that this newly formed big three have played on the same court together, uh, on the same team at the same time. So I can understand the media attention around it, and I can definitely understand why everybody wants to point and laugh at the new big villain in the NBA. But again, I'm sitting here saying I am not surprised by any of this. Uh, you know, again, his potential to be historically great offensively, also the potential to be historically bad defensively. And the big three combined for 96 points. All of them played 45 minutes or more. Which if there's anything that I'm actually surprised and or concerned about coming off of last night. And this was a great point that I think Zach Lowe made. Uh, and it's the fact that Kevin Durant is playing so many minutes. In fact, all of them are playing so many minutes. Um, they're, especially with the NBA really having a new, I don't necessarily want to call it trend, but uh, load management is definitely a trendy phrase, a catchphrase, a, a, um, a phrasing that you've heard a lot around the NBA over the last two seasons. And I think it's still very much evident and it's still very much in play, especially with COVID and what this NBA season is. So I'm a little worried that Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving are playing so many minutes. Granted, yes, it was a double overtime game. But even still, Kevin Durant is coming off an Achilles tear, and he's playing 50 minutes. And with the lack of depth that they have on the bench now that they sold away their entire souls to get James Harden. Again, I used the phrase during the time of the trade, they sold the basement to get the attic. They have no depth, really. I mean, Joe Harris played, I believe, 35 to 40 minutes as well, and that's going to be their quote-unquote sixth man. But other than that, nobody else really played. I am seriously concerned that uh, by the end of the season that these three are going to play so much that they are just absolutely exhausted and worn out, not to mention if any of them get COVID, not to mention if any of them are physically unprepared to play. Kyrie Irving was off for seven games. He looked great. He played great, but still the conditioning might not be at its peak. Uh, same with James Harden. I think the, <laughs> there's all these pictures about quote-unquote fat James Harden floating, floating around, but he's looked fine as well. But still, my point remains... The only thing that I would be concerned about and that I was surprised about is that these guys played so much. And if they continue to have to play so much to win games like this, then that could be an issue just by uh, the stance that once they get to the important games, the playoffs games, they're going to have no energy and they're going to have an earlier exit. But in terms of what everybody is talking about, again, again, the grand scheme of things, the fact that this team with three of the best scorers in the NBA, two all-stars or two MVPs, three all-stars on the team, you know, there, there, there's really two camps with this. You're either saying, wow, 
it took Sexton's best game as a pro for the Cavs to beat the Nets, or you're saying, wow, the Nets' big three dropped 96 points combined and still lost to the worst offense in the NBA without Darius Garland and Kevin Love. And I think most people are trending on that side of things. That's the camp with the most people in it. And again, I understand it. It's taking a look at the big bully that in middle school that just whiffed kicking a kickball it at recess and saying, ha ha, you, ju- you guys just whipped so bad. But again, you should not be surprised in what you saw. The product that the Brooklyn Nets are advertising is exactly what we saw on Wednesday night. And yes, it's going to result in this team that a casual fan will look at and say they should not lose any games. And it's going to result in this team losing games against teams that they should not lose to. And that is especially not unheard of in the first opening weeks of a big three happened with the Celtics happened with LeBron in Miami happened with the Warriors with Kevin Durant in Oakland. It happens all the time. This team needs time to get everything going together. They Probably will figure out something a little bit to try and get better on defense, but that still doesn't change the fact that we actually got a lot of what we were advertised last night with the Brooklyn Nets. Potentially historically great offense, also potentially historically bad defense. Nobody should be surprised about what happened. Again, the only reason that you should be surprised or concerned is the fact that Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie had to play so much in order to beat these teams, or in order to beat the Cavs, and if that that issue persists. I am very worried not only about the health of Kevin Durant coming off an Achilles tear. I'm not only worried uh, about that, but I'm also worried about the uh, uh, the the words escaping me. The um, I don't I, the the word that's in my mind right now is density, and I know that's not the right word, but the um, the ability to stay healthy. Um, That is going to be the most important for the Brooklyn Nets, especially if these guys are going to be playing so much. Uh, The next game uh, for the Brooklyn Nets is actually tonight against the Cavs as well, so it's going to be really interesting to see how we frame what happened Wednesday with what we frame tonight and what happens tonight. It's going to be interesting to see if more of the same happens or if maybe the Nets play a little bit better defense and they end up being better uh, than than we thought they are going to be when it comes to the defense side of the ball. But again, I'm not surprised. It's exactly what we thought it was going to be. It really depends on if the Nets are able to get better defensively because otherwise they are going to be really, really good. They are going to drop a bunch of points on your head, but they're also going to lose games that they shouldn't lose just because of the fact that they cannot play any defense. I mean, their best defender is DeAndre Jordan, and he only played 24 minutes last night, and he's only really a good defender inside of the paint, which, again, in this in this NBA is not as valued just because of the value of the three-point shot, the value of perimeter shooting. The Nets have no on-ball defense. They traded away their probably their best on-ball perimeter defender in Torian Prince, who plays for the Cavs now, who uh, beat them on Wednesday night. So, um, again, I'm not surprised. Did any? I, I mean, did anybody really expect anything different? Everybody should have known that this team was going to be really bad defensively. Um, I'm not surprised. You shouldn't be either. Again, this is not this is not me trying to dimmer expectations for the Nets. They are still title favorites. They should be title favorites. But if you take a look and you take a look at what we saw from night one, and again, I'm in the camp of saying you should not take what you saw in night one and just slap it over, well, this is what's going to happen against everybody. No, it's night one. 
of a newly formed big three. Give them time to get it together. But again, this is exactly what's advertised by the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to score a lot of points, but their defense against teams that have especially big post scores like the Lakers with LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis. That is what's going to be the thing that will prevent them from winning a title, if anything prevents them from winning a title. Again, I feel like I'm repeating myself at this point, so we're going to cut it off here. Not surprised about what happened. Historically great offense, historically bad defense. Only concerned about the playing time that Kevin Durant, Harden, and Kyrie are going to have in order to make this super team work. So, uh, with that being said, I want to move on to the NFL here. <clears throat> To a topic that really, this is the first topic that I really feel strong, like, okay, let me rephrase that. I feel extremely strong about a lot of things. This is the hard-headed sports podcast. I have a lot of hard, strong opinions. But this is this is one of the things that actually has riled me up a bit. And uh, this is the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles hiring Nick Sirianni as their next head coach. The Eagles have hired their next head coach, or as I see it, the Eagles have hired their fall guy in the event that Carson Wentz continues to play poorly and is actually a disgruntled, diminished, and unconfident quarterback instead of just a quarterback that's having an offseason. The Eagles hiring Nick Sirianni, who is a first-time head coach. He was the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis where Frank Reich calls the plays, and we'll get back to that connection in a second. Frank Reich is is a name that you should remember uh, for this topic. First-time head coach, offensive coordinator with the Indianapolis Colts. He was a wide receiver and quarterback coach with the San Diego Chargers previously as well. So he's been in the league a long time, but he lacks any really strong head coaching experience, and he really also lacks a lot of offensive coordinator experience because Even being the offensive coordinator, he didn't call plays in Indianapolis. Frank Reich did. And uh, that concerns me for the connection that the Eagles are trying to make here. Sirianni is essentially, as we'll we'll talk about, Sirianni is essentially a coach that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, can exploit and control and basically manipulate. Sirianni, as a first-time head coach, is going to have no power, as opposed to Doug Peterson, who the Eagles fired on the 11th of January, who has reason to have power. He's a he's the team he's the coach rather that brought the franchise its first Super Bowl. He has that power. In comparison to Doug Peterson, Nick Sirianni has nothing. If anything, he's going to be a yes man. And this is not an indictment against Nick Sirianni. I want to say that straight out of the gate. I don't know Nick Sirianni. I only know what I've researched about him. He could be a great guy, and he could have a great presence, and he could be a great football coach. But you can't ignore the fact that with this hire, you absolutely see what Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are going for, and that is a first-time head coach that they can tell what to do, and they can potentially make the fall guy if he does not succeed in what they are wanting to achieve. And what they're wanting to achieve is they want Nick Sirianni to turn around Carson Wentz. They are still very evidently committed to Carson Wentz. And this coaching hire would not have happened if Carson Wentz was not an Eagle. This would not have happened if Nick Sirianni was not the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts under Frank Reich. 
And here's the connection. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator during the 2017 Super Bowl season in which the Eagles won the Super Bowl and Carson Wentz had his best season as a pro. That is the connection. That's what they're hoping for. But they're not getting Frank Reich. They're getting the guy under Frank Reich. The guy under Frank Reich that hasn't called plays. The guy under Frank Reich who didn't coach in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz. And this real stretch is saying, well, if Frank Reich is there and he trusts Nick Sirianni as his offensive coordinator, then surely they must have similar philosophies. So that means if they have similar philosophies, he'll be able to potentially turn Carson Wentz around. And when you say it like that, and granted, this is a live show, I probably did not illustrate that as well as I could have. When you say it like that, it seems kind of stupid. I'm just saying. When you say it like that, you can understand why the Eagles want to hire this man. And if you're an Eagles fan, that's the only reason that you'd be optimistic about this hiring is the fact that, well, Sirianni served under Reich, who Reich was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia during the Super Bowl season, during Wentz's best season. And hopefully he would Sirianni aligns enough with Reich to the fact to the point where he can bring back our quarterback that is not only crushing the locker room, but he's also crushing our salary cap. This is an all-out effort to appease Carson Wentz. And if Carson Wentz continues to play as poorly as he did last season, which, again, really good quarterbacks have bad seasons. You know, every every you know NFL analyst or everybody that you'll see on TV that it's just destroying Wentz and saying that he's washed out, you know, that, that you shouldn't trust him at all, you know, I find that a bunch of hogwash. Like, there have been good quarterbacks that have had really bad seasons before. It's not out of the ordinary. It happens. But once you start getting more consistently two, three bad seasons in a row, then that's when you start to call it. So the hope is that, the hope if you're an Eagles fan is that this guy can somehow turn Carson Wentz. But again, when you put it in the big picture perspective, you're tr- you're, you're reaching for the fact that this guy who is under Frank Reich holds some of the same philosophy as Frank Reich and enough philosophy, offensive philosophy, to not only be able to appease Wentz, keep him in Philadelphia, but also turn him into the MVP caliber quarterback that he was your Super Bowl season before he got hurt. And again, when you put all of that in perspective, it sounds kind of stupid. And that's why Nick Sirianni is a, I don't want to necessarily say a lame duck head coach, because again, I want nothing but success for Nick Sirianni. I want him to go in there and crush it. I am never a person to to wish ill will on somebody, but he is absolutely a fall guy. He's absolutely somebody that if this doesn't work out, which again, when you put it in the perspective that I have, you say, wow, this is really kind of a stretch for this franchise, and it probably won't work out if Wentz doesn't get it together, which the odds are statistically not in his favor. You say that that guy, Sirianni, he's definitely a fall guy. He has somebody for Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie to point their finger at and say, hey, look, we tried everything. We even got Wentz a coach that was with, you know, Frank Reich or, or has the same philosophy as Frank Reich, and he still couldn't do it. Like, uh, it, it lies on the coach. You know, we ju- he just couldn't get it done. 
I can already see that happening. Um, it, it, it's, it's, huh. it makes me upset because I hate to see a guy that could be a really good coach just get throw under a bus for his first head coaching job by an ownership and a general manager that are specifically hiring him because a, they think he can fix Wentz who might be unfixable. B, he's a coach that is a first time head coach and has no power and they can basically do or say whatever they want. And he'll have to mostly say, yes, I'm not saying that he's going to be a complete yes, man. Again, I don't know the personality traits of Nick Sirianni. We haven't even had an introductory press conference yet. I don't think, you know, so <sighs> Eagles fans, I, I I hope you're you're praying to a God if you believe in one, because I truly see this as a disaster waiting to happen. Sirianni is absolutely a fall guy for uh, in in the event that Carson Wentz continues to be a, a subpar quarterback, he's going to be the fall guy if Carson Wentz continues to play poorly and doesn't return to anything like he was in his 2017 season. Which again. It might not be the fact that Carson Wentz is now a shattered, struggling quarterback. He might have just had a bad year, and obviously his relationship with Doug Peterson probably didn't help him. But the other thing is, is also there is another quarterback in the room called Jalen Hurts. And if Jalen Hurts proves to be better than Carson Wentz, either through preseason training camp, throughout the offseason, and even into the season then that's going to make things even more complicated and even worse. And now the guy that you hired to try and fix your, your multi-million dollar quarterback is now choosing to go with his quote-unquote replacement, and you just hired a head coach that uh, for the wrong reason who is now going uh, pretty much against what you are wanting. And what Howie uh, Roseman and what Jeffrey Lurie are clearly wanting is they're wanting their investment in Carson Wentz to not come and bite them in the butt. Uh, th and that's really, I think, the underlining subplot in all this is that they want to be right about Wentz so badly that they went and they that they went and they plucked the under the, the understudy of the guy that was able to produce the best results with Wentz and hoping and praying that he has enough and shares enough offensive principles with Reich to be able to turn around Carson Wentz, who, again, is being a bit, he's being a diva, he's being a drama queen, which if you're losing your starting job, yes, it's understandable, but still, you don't have to go and rock the, uh, rock the locker room because of it. So, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops over time. I think that the Eagles have, have basically not hired a head coach. They've hired a fall guy instead. I, I, I want to quickly talk about Deshaun Watson. And actually, to, pre to preface my talking about Deshaun Watson, I want to talk about why I haven't talked about Deshaun Watson. And it's really the fact that I don't see any reason to or haven't seen any reason to before today and it's not like something happened within the last 48 hours to make me go yep need to talk about Deshaun Watson today stuff is developing actually it's the exact opposite it's the fact that the Deshaun Watson talk is kind of slowing down a little bit that now I feel comfortable in talking about um, potential trade destinations for Deshaun Watson and that's the main thing it's not the fact that you know Deshaun Watson is 
without a doubt going to be traded. And as a, as a reporter, as a, as a sports personality, I need to talk about where Car- uh, not Carson Wentz. I need to talk about where Deshaun Watson is going. No, it's the fact that he, we don't even know that he's going anywhere yet. And the media, as we are prone to do, are taking a little bit of information and running with it and just playing out all the situations and scenarios in our head. Um, it's it's what brings in the views. It's what's the clickbait. It's it's what uh, it's what everybody is interested to know, and that's all, and that's the reason why I've stayed away from talking about it for so long. It's because we know we know absolutely nothing. We know about as much as you know our ailing grandmother knows about the Deshaun Watson situation. Only Deshaun Watson and Nick Casarios at this point know or have any slightest idea about what they're feeling. And now I'm not doubting sources i'm not saying well the source is saying that deshaun watson is avoiding phone calls and deshaun watson is out of houston i'm not disputing those sources because they're more than likely true but again there are so many things that need to happen before deshaun watson officially says okay let me out and the main thing that needs to happen is houston needs a head coach and nick casarios needs to meet with his personnel uh, his staff to try and figure out uh what they're going to do about the situation. So there's a lot of steps that need to be taken before the media can finally be, be vilified or not vilified, but be fulfilled and, and, and the media can be happy to fully explore their Deshaun Watson fantasies on where he's going, what makes the best fit. But to not, in order to not be left behind, I felt like I needed to talk about it today Give some ideas, throw out some, my my picks on where, if I were Deshaun Watson, I would be okay being traded to that franchise. And that's the big distinction. Everybody wants to throw out these, these, these dream scenarios, these dream situations for Deshaun Watson to go to. Um, like going to the New Orleans Saints, who, if, if you know anything even furthermore uh, about the Saints and their current situation you'll recognize that the saints are 90 million dollars in cap hell i think that's the most in the league at this point and they are not in the running for a probably a 14 million dollar quarterback at this point i believe 14 million is about what deshaun watson's contract is they're not in the running the jets are a name that gets thrown around a lot recently just because hey the New York Jets, Robert Sala got hired. They've got draft picks. It looks like they can turn it around. Deshaun Watson would be smart to get on the train. And I'm like, no, he wouldn't. I like, <laughs> I mean, he, he might want to. I mean, I'm not Deshaun Watson. I don't want to speak for him. And again, it's all about the, it, it, here we are. Another media person just starting to speculate about what Deshaun Watson wants and what Deshaun Watson wants to do. See, I, I, not even I am, am immune from doing it. But... The big thing is that Deshaun Watson has a no trade clause. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where the Texans want to send him. It doesn't matter where the media would like to see him go. What matters at the end of the day is where Deshaun Watson would feel comfortable going. And when you take that criteria for what it is, it eliminates a lot more teams than you would think. It eliminates silly stories like, well, maybe Deshaun Watson is the replacement for Drew Brees in New Orleans. No, he's not. They're $90 million in cap space. 
oh, well, maybe he's going to be a New York Jet, and he's going to be the rebuild that the New York Jets need, and maybe he really likes Robert Sala. It's like, well, you don't know that. And uh, even though the Texans might want to trade with New York just because they have cap space or they have the cap space to supplement the contract, they have the picks that you would want if you're the Houston Texans. Maybe Deshaun Watson just doesn't want to go to New York. And it's like, well, he's liking he's liking pictures in Jet Green. It's like, oh come on, come on, like that's just Deshaun Watson stirring the pot, just sitting at home on his phone and laughing about everything, you know. And don't take any of those seriously. Um, you you shouldn't, anyways. But now I'm just rambling at this point. Um, I'm I'm being I feel like I'm being forced to talk about where I think Deshaun Watson would go, just not to be left behind. Even though I think a lot of it is a bunch of hogwash, but. If I were Deshaun Watson, I have a list of teams here that I would be comfortable going to and being traded to. Because, again, the important thing is that Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause, meaning that if he does not like the destination, he can veto it and say, nope, you can't trade me. And it becomes a game of hardball in which the Texans might have a really good trade package offered to them for Deshaun Watson. And Deshaun Watson's like, I don't really want to go to Chicago, you know. For an example, but to get into the list, um, the first team on the list is the Texans, and it's like, well, he's not going to be traded to the Texans, he's already a member of the Texans, and I, I put them on the list strictly because of the fact that there's like a 1% chance that Nick Casarios can sit down with Deshaun Watson and say, look, I understand I might not have been your first choice, but I am here to make the team better, I am not like the guy that completely came in last time and wrecked the franchise. You know, the offensive coordinator now at University of Alabama, that guy. We don't say his name here. He's like Bloody Mary. Nick Canserios could walk in, sit down with Deshaun Watson and say, look, I am dead. I am, uh, I am, you know, I'm, I'm indebted. I'm not indebted. That's not the right word, but I am, I am dedicated to making this work with you. What would you like to see? What direction would you like to go? Give Deshaun Watson the validation and the respect that he thinks he deserves. There's like a 5% chance that Nick Casario can actually sit down with the head with Deshaun Watson. They can choose a head coach together and go from there, and maybe Deshaun Watson decides to stay. That is a... Excuse me. That is a long shot, but still, I felt like it was an option worth mentioning because the reality is, is that... Deshaun Mont- there there might not be a team that offers a good enough trade package and there might and that team still might not be a team that Watson wants to play for and he ends up being on uh, the Houston Texans roster at the start of the next season. Uh, the next team I have on the list is Carolina and we talked about Carolina yesterday. We talked about why Justin Fields would be a or not yesterday on Wednesday. We talked about how Justin Fields would be a great landing uh, a great quarterback to Fort Carolina to draft because of who's already there. Teddy Bridgewater is a phenomenal game manager. He's a smart, smart player, not really the best quarterback. He's only average when it comes down to his production on the field. So in my mind, I think Carolina is ready to move on from uh, Teddy Bridgewater. An easy way to do that uh, would be to trade for Deshaun Watson Panthers have eighth pick in the draft, so you trade your first-round pick and Teddy Bridgewater to the Houston Texans for uh, Deshaun Watson, plus a little extra thrown in there. The Houston Texans do have, or or, excuse me, Carolina uh, does have some decent cat space, and Watson's old QB coach now is in Carolina. His name is escaping me. Um, 
I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, which is going to haunt me. But still, uh, Watson's old Q Beach coach is now in Carolina. There is a connection there. Uh, Carolina has a good developing offense with Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson. Um, they have some talent there, and they do have a top 10 pick. That's got to be very attractive for uh, Houston with this draft. And again, uh, the, the trading away Bridgewater would essentially go one for one in terms of cap space because I think the Carolina Panthers are actually over the cap at this point. But a lot of that is Bridgewater's massive contract. Uh, so trading that contract to Houston, it doesn't really benefit Houston, but it would make sense. It's about one for one uh, in terms of trading Watson for Bridgewater when it comes to the money side of things. Uh, next team, Miami Dolphins. We've talked about this already on the show as well. I've kind of changed my tune a little bit. Originally, I was like, oh, no, but I like to uh, don't do that to him. You know, he's he, he hasn't had enough time to 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 grow. And I, I still feel that way. But the more and more I think about it, it's like you'd be insane not to pass up on Deshaun Watson. Like this is a business. You need to make the trade if you can. Um, the Dolphins have plenty of picks. Two in the first round of this year's draft, I believe. Two in the second, two in the first round of next year's draft as well. They've got the picks. They have the cap room. But the thing is, is that they do seem committed to Tua Tagovailoa, which is the thing that may kind of puts Miami not necessarily out of the running. Now, it is worth mentioning, people didn't know that Miami was going to draft Tua in the draft. They thought, well, maybe they're going to take Herbert. There was a lot of smoke and mirrors with that. So, you know, it could be a similar thing going on where Miami is actually extremely interested in Deshaun Watson, but they're not saying, and they're saying otherwise to try and do a little smoke and mirrors and keep other teams uh, off the, the, uh, the board in terms of being able to trade for Watson. Next team I have, Chicago. Um, Chicago would have to make room in the cap for Watson. They don't have a lot of picks. They picked 20th in the draft this year. But in terms of player personnel, uh, Chicago has an extremely good defense, which you know, playing for a defense or playing with a defense that's as good as the Chicago Bears defense has got to be appealing to Watson since uh, the Houston Texans have not had a very good defense since Watson has been in Houston. So that would be very appealing. The Chicago Bears would need to get a wide receiver in the draft. They do have Anthony Miller, who's a pretty good wide receiver. But other than that, uh, Chicago has drafted really poorly recently, especially at the wide receiver position. Uh, they would need to go get a wide receiver in the later rounds of the draft to try and uh, help Deshaun Watson if he came there. Obviously, Trubisky is there. You sent Trubisky to Houston, do a little one-for-one one there as well. Uh, but if you're Chicago, I think you're trying to move on from Trubisky anyway. It makes sense. Um Watson would be a, a you know a great quarterback for Chicago, especially with a strong defense, could be really good. But Chicago is probably the team that would require the most work to be done after the fact if Watson was to be traded there. Uh, next team, uh, the, the the San Francisco 49ers, and this is a this is a team that has been thrown around a lot by analysts. And when I was talking earlier about well, everybody wants to sit here. Every single sports media member wants to take a look and say, wow, could you imagine Deshaun Watson with this team? And the 49ers is a team that's thrown around a lot. And actually, you know, this it 
analysts are right on this one. I mean, the 49ers would be a great landing spot for Deshaun Watson. Good offensive talent, good offensive depth. Um, uh, Debo Samuel at wide receiver is a great player. Great person for Watson to throw to. They've got a strong defense. And, you know, the thing that impressed me most about the 49ers last season is they were banged up, they were battered, but they were still winning games with second and third stringers. That that organization knows what they're doing draft-wise. They have a lot of depth. They have a good footing beneath them. Uh, the, again, I, I feel like a lot of trade scenarios for me involving a quarterback that's on the hot seat that Houston would be okay with taking along with first-round draft pick and again, Garoppolo and a first-round draft pick seems like a very good deal for the Texans to take in return for Deshaun Watson. Obviously, there's a little bit of incentive sprinkled in with that on the San Francisco side, but the 49ers is a team that makes a lot of sense. And if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm taking a look at the 49ers and saying that is a team that I would want to go to, like just based on the the, the franchise's history, just based on how good of a depth they are, how good they've been at drafting recently, and how well... Uh, they treat their talent there. Uh, that would be the probably the number one spot for me is probably the 49ers. Uh, and, and not because of, wow, that just look at the player personnel, but just taking a look at all the, all the, um, this, not the superlatives, but the, um, the, the variables that play with the front office, um, and drafting, et cetera, et cetera. It'd be a great place for Watson. Uh, next on the list, Denver. Uh, and this is a name that you haven't really thrown her thrown around really all that much when it comes to uh, Deshaun Watson, the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. I feel like there should be a wheel of Watson somewhere around above my right hand shoulder here. Uh, the only thing with Denver is that Elway seems to be really sold on Drew Locke, despite the fact that not anybody else is sold on Drew Locke as the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Um, Denver has a new general manager, so that might make might make them a sleeper to try and make a play for Watson. But Elway still likes Drew Locke. Um, this was one of an this, this was an option where I was like, huh, maybe, but then I'm like, eh, probably not. But still, there's enough of an interest there that would that piqued me enough to put them on the list here. And uh, the last team on the list that I feel if and again, for those of you that are either you know skipping ahead or skipping through, uh, this is the the teams that I if I were Deshaun Watson and I were you know asking to be traded, these are the trade these are the teams that I would waive my no trade clause to be able to trade it to be traded to those teams. Uh, last team is Pittsburgh Steelers. Now this is only plausible if Ben Roth- Roethlisberger retires this season. Um, his retirement will free up the cap space necessary for the Steelers to go and get Watson, but a uh, great defense star wide receivers. Um, they, but they just signed Dwayne Haskins. So that tells me that they're not exactly interested in Deshaun Watson at this point. And that also tells me that Ben Roethlisberger probably won't retire because Dwayne Haskins, I don't, if you're a Steelers fan, you know, answer me honestly. Do you really think that the, that Dwayne Haskins, or do you rather want Dwayne Haskins to be your starting quarterback? doesn't make sense that, uh, at least to me, that the Steelers would take a chance on uh, Dwayne Haskins uh, if they, if it, to, to make him their starting quarterback, especially after everything that they've seen in, um, in, in in Washington. So that either means, hey, uh, Roethlisberger isn't retiring. He's coming back for another year. Or it means, hey, potentially they're going to make a play for, for Watson here. 
Uh, so that's the list of teams. Again, to recap, chance that he stays to the Texans. There is a small chance. Carolina, Miami, Chicago, 49ers, Denver, uh, and the Steelers. So if you were forcing me against a wall, putting a gun to my head saying, tell me the teams that Deshaun Watson would probably go to, that's my list. Um, probably a very drawn, long and drawn-out explanation, but there you go. That's it. I, I've avoided talking about that on the show for a while now. I talked about Deshaun Watson the first day. Haven't talked about him since because, again, I know as a member of the media, we like to make up situations in our head, and some of them are not always plausible. Some of them are just clickbait, and I don't want to be clickbait. I want to have a rational, logical thought about, hey, these are logical places that Deshaun Watson might want to play next season. Notice, no New York Jets, no New England Patriots, no um, uh, no Indianapolis Colts, no Detroit Lions, no you know teams that are in the market for a quarterback, but realistically they're probably going to draft a quarterback instead of you know go for Deshaun Watson. So there's my list. We'll see what happens. Obviously what needs to happen first is Watson needs to sit down with Casarios and they need to figure out who their head coach is going to be. Um, the last topic for today is something that we've already briefly mentioned, but Dwayne Haskins was assigned to a one-year deal um, with the, uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and this is your, your very prototypical prove-it-or-lose-it type of contract, one year, um, a $1 million contract, give or take. And this was a move that I, I, I didn't think made much sense. I personally don't like the signing. Um, I understand that the Steelers are very obviously, and they shouldn't be, they're not sold on Mason Rudolph. They're not comfortable with Mason Rudolph being their only quarterback on the roster if Big, uh, Big Ben decides to retire this offseason. But if you're looking for a quarterback to come in and be kind of that Band-Aid quarterback to replace Big Ben while you look for another franchise quarterback, you could have chosen a lot better. A lot better than Dwayne Haskins. I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, Gardner Minshew is going to be looking for a new team very soon, considering that the Jaguars are probably going to draft uh, Trevor Lawrence with a number one overall pick. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is going into free agency out of uh, Indianapolis. Garoppolo is could be looking for a new team soon. He could be traded. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I feel like they made a very fast move to pick up their next quarterback when there's potentially going to be a lot more options later down the road when free agency hits after the draft or excuse me, um, uh, before the draft. But, you know, teams have a better idea about, you know, who's going where, yada, yada, yada. You know, and the thing that just really is a big question mark for me is, okay, so the thing that really ailed the Steelers the most this season, and I talked about this on the first ever episode of the show, the Steelers have a very clear ego image problem, and the lack of maturity is what turned a Super Bowl contending 11-0 team to a first-round bounce 11-5 uh, team after they lost in the middle of the season. That maturity issue is what whatever flitch whatever maturity switch was flipped in the middle of the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was detrimental enough to the fact to the point where um, they were bounced out of the playoffs by the Cleveland Browns. 
So you mean to tell me that you're going to take probably the most immature quarterback that started a game for an NFL team this past season in Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback who has not performed well, a quarterback who has immaturity issues out the out the booty hole. Um, when he's when he's in there, in, in when he's on the field, he's just average. He's carried by the the great defense that Washington had last season. This just this, 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 it doesn't make sense. Like, why would you take a basket case? And I'm, maybe that's a little bit too harsh for Dwayne Haskins. Why would you take an immature football player and place him on a team in which their main ailment is the fact that they're immature? It's like that. That that's only compounding the problem further. I I don't understand the move. And maybe sure the hope is well under Mike Tomlin, who is one of the best coaches in the NFL. Maybe under Mike Tomlin, Dwayne Haskins will find a new sense of purpose. You know, he, he's unhappy with how things went in Washington. You know, maybe he really wants to turn it around, and maybe Mike Tomlin will allow him to turn around, and he'll become the new franchise quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it'll be a great redemption story. And I'm sitting here thinking that is too much of a fairy tale. That's too much of a of a, of a story, like, like, a, like a, a foregone story for me to actually buy into that. I think Haskins is immature. doesn't make sense for him to go to a team that has maturity issues. Uh, or at least it doesn't make sense from a, a front office perspective for the Steelers. Again, it looks more like you're compounding the biggest issue of the team in in uh, an effort to try and plug the biggest hole of your team before it happens. And of course, that biggest hole would be not only the running game, but also the fact that Big Ben, your franchise quarterback, your Super Bowl winning quarterback for so many years now is on the verge of retirement. So it looks like they're trying to plug a hole. They're trying to plug a leak with a that uh, a leak that hasn't happened yet with a piece that just will only break the ship further doesn't make sense for me I don't like this signing at all maybe I'm just being too harsh or too crude I'm very interested Steelers fans to hear what you have to say about it I don't like the I don't like the move at all uh, and that'll wrap up the show today uh, about a 45 minute show this is about the time that we're aiming for oh I you know I really wish that the the Sean Watson segment was a little bit more concise, but I had so much to say. You know, the problem about waiting that long for a segment like that is that you have so much to say that it kind of just compiles on itself. But regardless, hey, we got through the show without cleaning, clearing our throats too much because of the coffee. I'm actually really happy about that. I, I felt like, you know, we had a good show. We formulated our thoughts pretty well. Uh, but um, this isn't a performance review for me. I'm really just thankful that you all are listening to the show. Thank you so much for all the support. Um, really do appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hard Headed Sports Podcast. This has been episode 7 of HHS, hosted by myself, Nick Ryan. Thank you all so much for listening and watching, ladies and gentlemen. Stay hard-headed, but have a nice day. <laughs>